the idea that there's tokenism in the workplace. So in other words, you know, men haven't allowed enough women into the positions of power. And now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for listening. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to episode 174 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Oh, it's so great to be back. It's been a while, babe. Uh, yeah, I was looking at it. Our last episode we released on September 25th. So here we are, a full month later. Goodness, like, we've never taken that much time off, but it feels like just yesterday when we were recording. And here we are back at it again, but so much life has happened since our last episode. Oh, so much. So many things. I don't even know where to begin. So I know, so you said, was it September the last time we actually recorded? Yeah, September 25th was the last time. But uh, if if you haven't noticed a little happiness in Chris's voice. It's because Vacation Chris is in the house. Unfortunately, though, I lo- I do love Vacation Chris, but it is coming to an end. Unfortunately, you do love him? I do love him so much, but unfortunately, my vacation mood mode is coming to an end uh, tomorrow or as you record this or release this. I, I guess, say. but you said your vacation mood is coming to an end. Like, you know, I that's, love being on vacation. I know, but that's unfortunate because you should be happy every day or at least the majority of days. Unfortunately, the reality is that vacation Chris is short lived. And so you're going to go back to your normal grumpy self. Your regular tune stationed uh, programming. Regular <laughs> programming. Yes. Back to your regular negativity. Yeah, so as as we've been gone, Christine has been a a world traveler. We've both been traveling around the world quite a bit since the last time we brought to you uh, this fine-tuned podcast. You have been? Of course I have. We were just in New York City, remember? Well, we we recorded since we were in New York. Uh, Are you sure? Did we? Yes, I'm 100% sure. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, but this past week, you've been on vacation because it was your birthday week. You know, it's always nice having a birthday. Unfortunately, the sad part is you get more of these. The older you get, the more you begin to forget like what day, like how old you are. I literally, not that long ago, somebody asked me like, how old are you going to become on your birthday? And I had to think about that. I'm like, how do you know? I have to like do the math on that and figure it out because I think you once you get cut this, your rings open, cut your leg and count the rings. I pretty much did. <laughs> it's when you actually cross a certain threshold in life, say different milestones. For example, once you pass 21, you know, it's great. Maybe 25 and be the big 30, you know, and then when you hit 40, I think everything after that is like, eh, whatever, maybe 50, 60. But other than that, I don't think they mean as much as when you hit like 16 or 21. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, but you did have quite an eventful week, right? Oh, yeah. We went out of town again. I know. I've been, I've been traveling. I think this year I've traveled more than I have my entire life, like ever. This is yeah. 2023. So Christine booked us a nice little hotel. A, uh, excuse me. A amazing hotel on the beach in Huntington Beach. Uh, I forget the name of it, but uh, it was so cute. It was cute. called the Shore Break by Kimpton. Nice. It was very awesome. And the cool, the coolest things. So Christine found out that actually it had a turntable machine 
inside the hotel room and in the lobby, they had all these lists of records you can check out. And so you'd have to bring your record back and exchange one for one. And I found the original No Doubt album and I was cranking that all day in the hotel. That's really fun. Yeah, they had so many fun little touches. It really was like a throwback to like old school Cali kind of vibe where when you walk in and it's, a, I mean, very, very nice. Like it was upscale a bit, but it wasn't like overly fancy. It was like an upscale beach resort. Uh, but all these little touches were kind of felt like a throwback to the seventies and kind of art deco. And I really liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. And in where the center courtyard is in the hotel property, um, which is funny because the actual hotels built up off the ground. It's like on the second floor, second levels where the hotel starts underneath must be shops or like a restaurant or something. Right yeah, there. there's like a coffee bar and all different kinds of stuff like that. But in the center courtyard where there probably used to have been a pool, I'm assuming at one point, it is a like a little courtyard area with like three or four like fire pits they had going with s'mores. We can use make our own s'mores at night and have drinks. And it was a very lounging, um, very relaxed. It almost like felt like being in somebody's backyard versus the actual hotel, really, you know? Yeah, I really liked the fact that they had like sandy around one of the fire pits. It was like uh, beach sand and some like beach chairs and they had different types of seating that was around there. And it was a really fun vibe. I absolutely loved it. It was right across the street from the um, Huntington Beach Pier, which I got the chance to actually walk all the way to the very end of it and all the way back. And, uh, you know, we have piers here in San Diego, but I'm never much of a pier kind of guy because some people love going to the pier and going fishing. I saw people doing going fishing. But from the actual, from the pier, you can look over and you can see the waves and you can see the surfers all trying to catch waves in the water right there. Yep. And it was so neat because I was like literally right there looking over the pier and looking down, you can see the surfers catching the waves and trying. And I was kind of imagining how cold that water's got to be, but um, it was a great time. I I really did enjoy it. Okay. I have to tell you a funny story. So when I was growing up, when I was about like seven or eight, my grandparents moved from Simi Valley in LA to Pismo Beach. And it was like a tradition that we would uh, go down and walk the pier in the evenings And so my grandpa always would want to go walk the pier after dinner or whatever. Um, And sometimes in the mornings or the afternoons. And so he used to ask my sister, Kim, if uh, she would want to go look at the bunsies. And what that meant was he would take binoculars and he would take my sister walking out on the pier to use the binoculars to check out the surfer butts. <laughs> oh, wow. So when, he, when you were talking about going and walking the pier and looking down at the surfers, just a little reminiscent of my grandpa there. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I haven't been on a pier in a very long time. And uh, there were early morning fisher, fishermen out there, people fishing with their fishing poles hanging off the pier. But I did not see anybody catch anything. Although I did see some kind of like Jurassic Park looking bird on the pier. And Didn't you say it was like a pelican? Yeah, but it was like big. It was like one of those like Jurassic Park birds or whatever, sitting there just chilling, looking at it, but like taking pictures of it. And some knucklehead was like throwing like crackers or bread out to all the different, um, you know, seagulls that were mm-hmm. everywhere. So many birds. 
flying around. It was so funny. This mom was had a little kids with her and she's like running real fast, kind of dragging them along. And the kid's like, mom, why are you running so fast? I don't get pooped on. This guy's like keeping all the birds in one little area. That's and the, funny. And the birds are going to do that. So, well, the reason that you, you went with me was because I had to go up and work up in Huntington beach area in Azusa actually, which is about which an is hour. Near, it's like yeah. an hour drive away. But um, for my consulting gig, I had a couple of days of work that I was doing, but I realized uh, just like a couple of weeks before I left for Europe that I was going to have to leave on your birthday. And, you know, me, I'm like a stickler for birthdays. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to leave you on your birthday. And then I realized it was going to be a Tuesday night. And I was like, even more so, I don't want to leave you on your birthday because the kids wouldn't be home. And you were going to be on vacation. I was like, well, why don't I take you with me? And so I was able to take you up there and you drove, but was able to take you up and uh, go to this nice hotel. We went to a couple of really nice dinners while we were there. And I was gone during the day working, which gave you flexibility to just kind of explore as you wanted to. So, you know, other than going and walking the pier, what are some of the fun activities that you did for yourself? I know you only had like one full day there. Right. So of course I hung out in the hotel. I listened to the no doubt record um, over and over again. I brought my little computer with me. So I did some computer work while I was up there. But one of the coolest highlights I did while it was there is that they have this full on like sidewalk, walkway, bike path that ran along the coast up and down Pacific Coast Highway. And um, they were right by the beach there and they had a bike rental shop there, you know. So I'm like, yeah, you know, while I'm here, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go rent a bicycle, a beach cruiser bicycle. Did and you I'm, do one of those electric ones that are like easier to pedal so you could go further? It is funny you say that. So they had that as an option to purchase, uh, to rent the electric version or even a tandem or maybe those cool little like like cart looking ones. Look like a car with like seats four, like two in the front, two in the back. Yeah, but you were by yourself. Right. That'd be kind of goofy. So I said, you know, just, just <laughs> give me. Can you imagine you trying to ride a tandem bike by yourself? What a that loser. Be, yeah, that, you know? basically. Or the guy who like has the little baby cart behind him just <laughs> yeah. pulled his groceries or whatever. So anyways, I decided to just get the regular, you know, beach pedal, you know, you know, bicycle, the pedal bike, the regular beach cruiser one. But those don't glide, do they? Like, don't you just have to like keep pedaling? That's a lot of energy. Well, if you have a nice momentum going, if you're going downhill a little bit, you can coast and things like that. But it's so, not like a regular bike where you can like. No, it is a regular bike. No, like a regular gear bike where oh, you no. can like coast for a long period of time. Like I've done beach cruisers and they seem to take a lot more energy. Yeah, beach cruiser bikes are pretty much all the same. They're pretty much one gear, one speed pedaling forward. When you pedal backwards, a lot of them will just break the back brake with the pedals. Yeah. I think this one did that too. If I remember, I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. Cause there was no handbrakes on there. So anyways, I started cruising along the boardwalk and I start cruising towards what I see in the far distance, which is long beach heading North. And I'm like, Oh, there's long beach up there. I mean, see if I can get all the way to long beach, but you're telling me it's like 30 miles away. And as I'm cruising along, checking everything out, this is so much fun. Got the GoPro going. I'm doing video of myself, video of the ride. And I'm kind of looking around at the cool different things, the beach and all the birds and people and stuff. And it was kind of a gloomy day that day, by the way. It wasn't sunny or sunshine. It was kind of like like major overcast. So it wasn't like your typical California sunny day. Anyways, I'm cruising up and I'm realizing that the further north I go, 
I have to ride this thing back <laughs> and I'm getting tired already. <laughs> so I'm like, I better start turning this thing around as we're heading back to the, uh, back to base, you know? So I kind of did that. So I only rented it for like an hour. And, um, and after that, I was so wore out. I haven't been on a bike ride in a while. Although I used to go all the time. I used to take the kids down to uh, Mission Beach and ride the boardwalk with bikes and skateboards all the time. But it's just like anything. If you haven't done it in a long time, muscle-wise, your muscles are like, wait a second. We haven't used that gear in a while. Well, I mean, you are approaching 50. Excuse me. (laughs) See, I always forget. I just stick that in there. That is true. That is true. Oh, hey, speaking of which, speaking of being 50, um, I didn't tell you this. Well, the day that Mason was playing baseball on the game that he was pitching, his first time pitching in Alpine, there was this old guy that was there. I don't know who he was or who he was with, but he he looked so old, riding a skateboard, doing all these tricks, and he had like his hat sideways, and he was wearing kind of like the baggier clothes. This dude, he looked like he was like 55. And it was I'm probably like, <laughs> Tony Hawk. No, I mean, he looked old like his dad. So this old dude was there, shout out old dude. And I was like, man, if he still got it, he can still do that. Then I can do it too. That's kind of how I look at but it. But you're you know? saying this guy looks so old that he looked like he's 55, honey. You're only a few years away from that. Like that's not that old. Maybe you were thinking he looked more like he was 75. It, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, he definitely did look fairly older, you know. And what got me though is that he's like, acting like he's like 22 years old, you know, on a skateboard, you know, doing all these tricks and skating around the, on, you know, on the sidewalks and so stuff. So basically you saw yourself in the future. I did. I did. <laughs> I, I got to get some crap. Only problem is that like, I was kind of afraid this guy was doing tricks on the skateboard. I'm like afraid the older you get, the more brittle your bones get. And I'm afraid this guy hits, falls. He wasn't wearing any gear, you know? <laughs> be like skeleton cracky. <laughs> it was like we drop a bunch of toothpicks on the ground and they all just yeah. go everywhere. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you had a really good time. Um, On your birthday itself, we got there into Huntington Beach um, around 5.30. I did have to work that day. Um, And so I just had my last meeting early enough that we could get on the road a little bit earlier. And we met up with my boss from my consulting gig and her husband. And we all went out to dinner at Dukes in Huntington Beach. So shout out to Dukes. We love that restaurant. And there's one in San Diego. Well, in La Jolla as well. Um, So we ended up being able to have dinner at Dukes. And the second night that we were there, we had dinner at a place called Sandy's. And it's just downstairs from Dukes, but it's just right off of the sand overlooking the beach. So uh, both nights, well, Second, first night, we didn't really get to see the sunset, but the second night we got to sit and watch the sunset and um, we just had burgers by the beach and daiquiris and it was a really nice way to end the evening. Even after I was really tired from working that day, it was a really nice little getaway and I felt like refreshed when we came home. Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely did. You know, I was kind of worried that this whole entire week, birthday week, it would just be another staycation, another just kind of hanging out. And then the fact that you find out you were going out of town, like, gosh, I'm here by myself on my birthday week, my vacation. I never said that I was going to leave I know, I know. But the thought did cross my mind that what am I going to do come birthday week? When I'm not the center of attention. When I'm not the center. Thank you. Well spoken by you. Thank you very much. And I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, but uh, I'm so glad it worked out. And I'm very sad that hell has to come to an end. I could go back to reality 
back to the grind. Yeah. You know. Well, I think that everybody wants to hear just a little bit more about your actual birthday. So, you know, um, once we we got packed up and we packed the car up, uh, I took you out to lunch to meet up with my parents. Yep. Where do we go? Phil's Barbecue. Shout out to Phil's Barbecue in San Diego. They are a San Diego staple. Their tri-tip is still not that good. Excuse me. It's blasphemy right there. <laughs> Phil, she didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I just think it's all right. I mean, well, it's deli sliced tri-tip, so it's super thin. So the cook, the finishing Well, that on is it not is the different. only thing on the menu. You can order like ribs or something. I know, I know, I know. So we took you to Phil's Barbecue. Basically, it was like a yes week. Anything that you asked for us to do ended up becoming pretty much a yes week, if you think about it. So we went to Phil's. And then um, I had to finish up my meetings. Uh, but where did I surprise you with going right after lunch? Well, you said you had to make a run an errand before we head out of town. We need to stop at one place. Uh, it's actually at the Chase Bank. We need to do some banking. You need to go over there and get some cash. I figured, okay, it makes sense. We're going to go out of town, pull some cash out or whatever. So we head into the parking lot where uh, Chase Bank is. And then she says, let's park over here. So I park. And then I start walking towards the bank because there's a bank and a few other businesses in this little complex. And Christine starts walking to the left and directly to the left is the AT&T store. I'm like, um, why are you going over there? And I thought, well, maybe she didn't mention we had to pay the bill for the phone bill. And I'm like, well, it makes sense. Maybe we'll pay the phone bill over here and then we'll get going. I mean, I'm always a person that likes to kind of like leverage my time. So if I'm in one area and I got things to do in that area, I'm going to try to knock them all out. So I got to come back over here today right. or whatever. So that's kind of figure what you're doing. But no, to my surprise, Christine says, no, we're going to the AT&T store to get you your new iPhone. Were you shocked? Yes, I was very shocked. I was very, <laughs> very shocked because um, I've had my iPhone 11 forever. And um, I do love that iPhone. In fact, when I <laughs> took it in today to get rid of it, to turn it in, I was like, took a picture of it, like uh, sentimental value. Like there she goes. The iPhone that You're such a weirdo. The iPhone that did it all. It did everything for me. So so I upgraded to the iPhone 15 and um just the 15? Oh, I'm sorry, it's a 15 Pro Max. Yes, it is. And so I ended up getting you your iPhone and we got you a new case and the really good screen protectors and uh the charging cords and all of that kind of stuff. Um, as my birthday surprise to you. And I would say that I really did pull off surprising you. You really did. I had no idea we were getting the phone. Like I, I didn't even think about it. Like I thought about where we should upgrade someday, but then I'm like, eh, I don't know. We're going to update, up, upgrade whenever. But um, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm not the kind of person who likes to upgrade my phones that often. I know people do. They'll upgrade right, like every year. But you've been talking about the 15 for a while, especially because your battery life on your phone was starting to really yeah. get like diminished. I noticed that in New York City, we were um, coming back from the Statue of Liberty and I noticed my phone was in my pocket. And I noticed it was super, like really, really hot. And I'm like, it's so hot. It's like, I feel it like melting my leg. And oh my gosh, dramatic much? <laughs> a little bit. And then I also noticed that when I plug it into my truck and I pull it out of my truck and I park at work, it would say charging has suspended because the phone is too hot to charge. Right. And they say when your phone battery starts getting super hot like that, it means the battery's dying, it's going. And if you have an iPhone, you can look into the settings, you can see your battery settings. And in the battery settings, there's a section in there where you can see how much of your battery you actually can use. 
And it was telling me, I think I was at 85%. Yeah, that's a sign that it's like on its last leg. Well, the kids, for, I checked the, checked the kids' batteries. They're like 70% oh my gosh. of their batteries. That's crazy. Well, that was my surprise for you. And then you were like, um, do we still need to go to the bank? I was like, no, dude, I just had to figure out how to get you over in this shopping center because I couldn't say we were going to AT&T because you'd figure it out. And you're like, oh my gosh, I had no clue. So I was able to surprise you with that. We had to order it because they didn't have it in stock, but it came in already on Friday. So you were able to get everything all situated um, and transferred over. And then, you know, I'd made reservations for you at, uh, for us at Duke's for dinner. And then, um, you know, we had this great little getaway while we were there in Huntington Beach, got you a sweatshirt, a zip up hoodie from Huntington Beach. And then we went through um, your birthday week, your birthday couple of days. And then when we got back into town, what did we do? We got back into town. Oh, it was about last night? Uh, night before last. Last night before last. Because um, last I, I'm, night I'm was gonna different. Go night before last, we went to, where did we go to eat? Last night? Night before last. Night before last, night before last. Uh, Just you and me. Um, where I never like to go. Where did we go? Buffalo. Oh, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings. I haven't been there forever. I know. Oh, and we watched the World Series game. We did. Check we sat right out. up at the bar. It was just the two of us because it was a Friday night. And here's the thing. We're not telling you all of this to be like, oh, look at our great life. Chris and I rarely, rarely, rarely ever get time alone, just the two of us. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's just the reality because we have three kids and... um every moment that he's off of work, we've got the kids with us. And so we don't get these little getaways um, at all, really. And we haven't had time to get away just the two of us and date nights even. So like, um, if you think about it, your time off is Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and we have the littles Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So they're not at the age yet where they could just be like left alone for an evening while we go on a date. I mean, they're kind of approaching that age, that stage, but you know, they're still early teen years, preteens, and it's just not something we felt comfortable with. So on a Friday night, after we went and got your phone all set up to just like hop on over and go to Buffalo Wild Wings, it was so funny because we were in there and I was thinking, okay, he's going to, he's going to ask where we want to, go for dinner right after this. And I knew, I knew just like three blocks away was the Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm like, okay, Christine, mentally prepare yourself. It's loud and obnoxious in there, but he loves wings. And if he asks, we're just going to do it. And so um, you were like, hey, babe, what do you want to do for dinner? I was like, I don't know what sounds good to you. And you go, Buffalo Wild Wings? I was like, sure. You're like, really? <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, are you sure? Are you Like, for real? Like, yeah. Well, You're like, we could go yeah. somewhere different. I'm like, Chris, I already said yes twice. Let's just go. Well, it's just like anything. If it's in this certain area, I'm going to try to think in my head, like, what are the places to eat at that are in this location that are pretty much you can walk in, sit down. There's a waiter comes to you. More like a restaurant than like right. a, than a McDonald's. I know those places too. But when I think of like going out to dinner, I usually don't think of McDonald's, Jack in the Box. I don't think of that. I think of like a... Like a sit-down restaurant. Right. And in my brain, I'm thinking like, which restaurants are in this vicinity that are any good and ones that we probably haven't been to in a while? Yeah, absolutely. 
So we went there, we had a fun date night out. And then um, to our surprise on Saturday morning, when it was time to get the kids, we found out that Jacob, our middle child, was going to stay back at his mom's house to help her out with his, with his youngest brother because both of his other parents had to work and they needed somebody to watch the little one. So we just got a little mason jar and we decided to have a little adventure last night. And we took Mason for the first time to the drive-in movies to see Hocus Pocus because it's almost Halloween. And it was so much fun. And he even said, yes. he was like, this is way better than the regular movies because it's like, like you have a bed right here. So we made out of an explorer. We laid down all of the seats in the back and Chris and I are too tall to be able to sit in the back and look through the back of the car. Like it just set up too high. So we weren't able to navigate that. So we flipped the car around and we sat in the, the driver and the passenger seat. And then little Mason, we had this whole like fluffy bed set up in the back where he just like laid there, ate his popcorn, drank his sodas and got to watch Hocus Pocus with us and said, that it was so fun. It was hard to convince him at first to go. And I was like, trust me, it's really fun. And then we went and he was like, this is the best. So it was a, it's been a really fun week. It's been a very, very fun week and I'm sad to see it go, but uh, we have to move on. (laughs) Absolutely. But you know, it's, it just like goes to remind us the importance of quality time and spending time together, really making time for family And, um, yeah, it's just been such a great, a great couple of days. And especially after I'd been traveling for so long, I had been in Europe doing stuff, uh, for weddings and then had been traveling for work stuff. It was really nice to just reconnect. And now I'm officially on break from wedding season until December. I know this whole weekend I've just been like sleeping and recovering because tomorrow I um, go to work to meet my new work team for my new job. What? what, A new new job? I do have a new role in my same organization. There's been a lot of changes happening, but uh, yeah, I'm going to go and meet my new team tomorrow. And uh, we're starting the process of the transition over to this new team. And um, officially it's happening in January, but... Uh, because it's a completely different group than I have worked with before. There's some people that have been part of teams I've been on before, but um, I was selected to be part of this new initiative, this data initiative. And so, um, yeah, I found out that I'm going to be leading uh, my own team as part of it. And, you know, big things are coming. So we'll just, you know, stay tuned to hear more about that. Ooh, so exciting. Big things, Christine. I know. And speaking of big things, we have a fantastic guest on this week's episode, an author who's going to share with us about her new book that is out and available now for you to pick up. And we're going to be back with her right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. 
And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. She is an author talking to us about her brand new book. Welcome to the show, Susanna Marin. Thank you, Christine. So glad to be here. Oh, we're so excited to have you on the show, Susanna. So where in the world are you joining us from today? I'm in Connecticut power. Connecticut, huh? Are you guys still still having um, a really blistering, uh, humid summer still over there? No, what we're having is a very humid summer, but the temperature has gone down. It was, yeah, there was a brutal week or two, really shockingly hot. Oh, yeah. Chris and I just got back from the East Coast. He's actually sitting across from me wearing his Manhattan shirt right now that we picked up at one of those I Love New York stores. But uh, yeah, we definitely got to experience the humidity and um, a an East Coast summer storm, which was something we'd never experienced before in the humidity Oh gosh, you could taste it. It was so thick. <laughs> well, if you're on if you're on the West Coast, you're not used to it. I mean, it and the world changes. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but you really do sense it. I mean, I've been on a book tour in the Northeast and everywhere I've gone. I mean, I went to a few bookstores where the bookstore owner said, you know, you can't sit outside to sign book. You know, they always put you on the sidewalk in right. the summer. They said, it's just too hot. No one will stop to talk to you. So, um, you know, it's been an air-conditioned summer. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like if you were uh, touring during the middle of winter in, say, Minnesota, you'd (laughs) probably be inside the mall or something, inside the whole time. Right. So, you know, climate affects us in all ways. But I'm really happy to be on your show and can't wait to hear what you think about Maribel and her sisters. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're excited to chat with you. I have only met a couple of authors in my experience, and I'm always so fascinated by individuals that can write books. I just think it's super interesting that you can come up with differing perspectives and different voices. But uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey as an author, Susanna. How many books have you written and uh, what's your inspiration? Well, I always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. Um, And the inspiration, well, I'm always and have been this, you know, these long years, because this is my 17th book. um, So long years of writing where I've been intrigued by how women are positioned in society. So for my nonfiction, I've written 13 titles looking at women in terms of how they truly feel. So I've written a book, three different studies on the role of wife under my real name, because Susanna Marin is my much prettier pen name. So under my real name, Susan Shapiro Barish, um, I wrote three books on the role of wife, a book on mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law, a book on mothers and daughters called You're Grounded Forever, But First Let's Go Shopping. <laughs> uh, you're right. I like that title myself. Um a book on female rivalry called Tripping the Prom Queen, a study on female infidelity that actually became a podcast um, this past winter. And the book is called A Passion for More, and the podcast is called She Wants More. That makes sense. Well, it sounds (laughs) like you like to look at many different dimensions of 
who we are as women and how we operate in the world. I find it particularly interesting since I am one of four girls, no brothers in my family. And uh, growing up, I've always been interested in this like competition between women. And I I don't know if you're familiar with the book uh, Queen Bees and Wannabes and like this mean girl mentality. Is that something that you've researched? Well, yeah. In fact, for Tripping the Prom Queen, um, the author of Mean Girls and Wannabes uh, gave me a quote, Rosalind Wiseman, and I'm very interested in her work. And I've been a gender professor for over 20 years at Mary Manhattan College. So, you know, always looking into how women treat one another in a patriarchal culture. And also, since you're one of five sisters, is that what you said, Christine? One of four. One of four. Okay. Well, I had done a study called Sisters Devoted or Divided. And that really, you asked about the inspiration for Maribel's shadow. Well, that certainly inspired me because in this novel, Maribel is the eldest of three sisters. And then they have this very dicey, socially ambitious mother named Lucinda. But but within, you know, no spoiler here, but within the first like 12, 15 pages of this novel, Maribel's young, handsome, dashing husband dies. And the story is really about how the sisters, all three of them, unravel, um, reveal their secrets, face their truths and lies once Samuel is gone. This I, sounds like the reverse of the, of the I, I know the male version of that would be like Legends of the Fall. Oh yeah. If you remember the, the four brothers, I think it was mm-hmm. four brothers, and they were all fighting over the one the one girl, I mm-hmm. think. They all they all hooked hooked up with her, if I remember correctly. But um I was kind of find that very interesting. Well, Legends of the Fall is a novella by Jim Harrison and actually a wonderful, wonderful book. And it was a great movie. And it's interesting that you mention it. I hadn't really thought about it, but not everyone is fighting over Samuel. It's more about what Samuel did that has created such danger and changes the equation for each of the, you know, all three sisters. And by the way, Legends of the Fall is interesting because it has such a strong sense of place. You know, they're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, after, which war was it after? You know, the I, think, I think it was World War One. World War One, right? And the brothers go off. And, yeah. And, and the brother Samuel, his name is Samuel. Now that I remember, it doesn't Look come at back. That. Coincidence. Yeah, what a coincidence. Um, I love the name Samuel. But, but in that family, first of all, it's a very patriarchal family. So you're right about, the, I like what you said, Chris, about the flips, flipping it. Um, because as I remember that novel, the father is so patriarchal, whereas Lucinda, the mother in this novel, who's kind of scary at times, no spoiler here, um, is so matriarchal, but the power really comes from the parent and their expectations of their children, which I think is an ongoing theme in American society. But who are we? Sometimes we, you know, in my novel, I'm really looking at who each of, who each of us really is once we're put to the test. Everything goes along very smoothly for this family. And they come from nowhere and they've created a wonderful life in Palm Beach for themselves, very fancy. And the mother really cares about who's who. But they've left a lot of um, secrets behind. And 
as in most cases, especially in books and movies, there's this inciting incident, meaning Samuel dies. Mm-hmm. And Maribel has to ask herself not only who was Samuel, but who is she? Who are we to marry these men? Who are we as sisters? What's loyalty? What's betrayal? So those are all the themes of the novel. And it really sounds like it plays into this phase of popular culture that we're in right now, where whether it's through shows like The Kardashians or Selling Sunset, that people are really fascinated with these inter-female dynamics, whether it's you know, looking at the evolution of friendships, um, how rivalries pop up between women, um, sisters, and when they're getting along and when they're not. What do you think is behind that move in popular culture to really kind of dice up what interfemale relationships are like? What What's the motivation behind it? Well, I think it really reflects the culture we live in because Whatever women do in a, in a society is in reaction to how they're placed in the society. So there's all, and this goes back to my study, Tripping the Prom Queen, and also a book I wrote on female friends called Toxic Friends, where we're taught by our mothers, by our mentors, by society at large, yeah, the Kardashians would be included, you know, pop culture, that there's not enough pie that we live in a limited goods society when we're female. And there's this really, I think, miscommunicated message. I mean, I think it's the wrong message if women will ever have the agency that if she gets it, you don't stand a chance. Like I said, there's not enough pie. Your friend is getting married, you're jealous. Your friend is getting divorced, you're jealous. Your friend is pregnant, your friend is moving. Your sister married a more successful guy. Your sister has a better career. So, you know, I put this book in a society, a particular society, Palm Beach, which is, for people who don't know it, I chose it very specifically because it's a place of luxury, materialism, and we all live in a capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. The message is if, is if you have money and looks and a great home and great clothes and jewels, you have it all. But the truth is, based on my research for each of my nonfiction titles, where I interview a diverse group of women in terms of age, race, ethnicity, level of education, where they live in this in the country, we're really in a, looking at how women feel for an emotional journey. And the emotional journey is tough. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, is this unique to the United States, Susanna, or do you see this prevalent in other European cultures? I guess I'm just wondering, is there a model where there's not as much kind of clawing at each other to make it to the top? I think that the United States is particularly patriarchal, but since I am American and I I report only on American women, I can't really answer that. I can tell you that for my, excuse me, my study on female infidelity, that it wouldn't have been a book in France. Mm. We know that people have, you know, affairs while they're married, both men and women. In France they do? Yeah. Is it, it's common? It's common and it's not 
judge the same way it is in our very patriarchal culture. What a trip. Had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And very judgmental culture. So I don't think the book would be a hit there because I don't think people would feel they need it. I mean, when I when I was writing Maribel's Shadow, I really intended to, and I feel I've achieved a book about three sisters who are very different and a mother who has very specific aspirations for each daughter. And that reflects my study on mothers and daughters where, and also my book on sisters, where women were reporting that as a mother, they identified with, and maybe this, you know, resonates with you, Christian, where the mother would say, oh, well, you know, I have three daughters. And the one that I feel most alike is the daughter who is just like I was. She too was a prom queen. She too went to medical school or she too quit high school to become an actor, you know, model, whatever the story was. And other mothers who said, you know, out of all my daughters, it's the daughter who has achieved everything I did not achieve that I find so appealing. So a mother, you know, mothers are our first mentors, our female models for how we interpret life, how we behave in life, what we are told to value. And so with a dicey mother, with a really trick of a mother in Maribel's shadow, each of these sister, each of these sisters really unravels and then has to figure out what her strength is and what she'll do to survive. That's so interesting. As you were talking, I was reflecting on my own experience. So I have a very opposite experience from Maribel's shadow, where I have a mother who was constantly reinforcing the importance of family and relying on each other and being built-in best friends for one another so that in my adult life, my sisters and I, because there's the four of us, we call ourselves the force, like (laughs) F-O-U-R-C-E. And it's this this constant um, Facebook messenger thread where we're, you know, sharing what's happened during the day, celebrating successes, commiserating with one another to the point where my mom asks sometimes like, well, why don't I get to be part of the thread? And we forget that, you know, she is the matriarch and needs to be part of it. And it can, she can sometimes almost feel left out and it's not intentionally, but she did such a great job of helping us to be friends with each other that we forget that, you know, mom's the, the queen of the crew. So, um, but it's definitely, that's a very successful mother-daughter, mother-daughter-sister's bond. I mean, as we know in fiction, if we don't have all these things stirred up, no one bothers with the book. And so as when the book begins, I'm not saying that Lucinda the mother is an already, you know, domineering and possibly hard to trust, but the three sisters are pretty devoted to one another. And Another aspect of the book from my nonfiction that really mattered to me was the idea of family systems, that we live in a world of family systems. So I don't know what birth order you're in, but for Maribel as the eldest, she has a middle sister, Caroline, and then they both, you know, then there's the little sister who's much younger than the first two, and and her name is Raleigh. And Raleigh is the the family mascot in the... So the idea that 
Raleigh has always been protected by her older sisters comes into play in this novel, too. Very intriguing. So is Maribel's Shadow part of a series or is it a standalone novel? Well, it's a standalone novel and it's a suspense novel because we need to know what happened to Samuel. How did he really die and why? Ooh, spoiler and, alert. <laughs> right, right. What, how, how did this happen and, and who was he, as I said before? So it's the third of my Palm Beach novels. But each, so I wrote A Palm Beach Wife, A Palm Beach Scandal, and actually originally this was called A Palm Beach Shadow. And um, my publisher and my agent and I decided we, you know, to change this a little bit. But, and possibly this one's the most suspenseful, although you really want to know the truth in the other two books too, because I'm very interested in what truth means to women. When, when survival becomes the center of the story. But in terms of it being a standalone novel, yeah, it's standalone. And actually the other two are as well, but they're, okay, no pun intended, but they are sister novels. But, but you don't have to read the other two to read the one, the, one, the most current uh, book, right? The, the follow along. No, they, they do are standalone. So you don't need to. That's excellent. So... Question about your process, Susanna. When you get ready to write a novel, does it start and end as a surprise to you? Or have you already mapped out the whole arc of the story and the resolution and then build all of the dynamics and the narrative around that? I definitely work from an outline and I definitely create the characters. I mean, I could tell you that Lucinda goes to Costco for ketchup still, even though she now has a lot of money. And that certainly doesn't make it into the book. It could have, but the point is I understand these characters very well. So I have a character study and then I have an annotated chapter outline for my fiction and for my nonfiction as well. Although, you know, with nonfiction, I mean, let me give you an example. You say to yourself, wow, the mother daughter, uh, the mother in law, daughter in law bond can be very complicated. So that would be like my thesis. And then, of course, I do all the research to support that and to see what I find. And so I might be confident that I know that it's hard or that, you know, being a wife is, you know, that women hold the bar very high for what their husbands will be like. So we, I know all of this, but I still need to do all the research to support that or I find out something different by being open-minded and doing intensive research. With a novel, I get to know as the writer, it's like being in a movie in my own mind. I knew what would happen in the very beginning of Maribel's Shadow and I knew what would happen at the very end. So your instinct is right. Then I just fill it in. You know, you have to drive the story forward. Thank you so much for being transparent about that process because for those of us that are on the outside looking in that have, you know, dreams of one day writing a book, there's not a lot of people that talk about the behind the scenes work that goes into writing a book. All you know is magically somebody's published a new book and they're celebrating it, especially a person like you who has written so many books. It can sometimes give off the impression like it just rolls off your tongue, but it sounds like there's a lot of mental labor that goes into the intentional creation of the storyline. 
Oh, yeah, there's no question. I mean, for I have been on panels. I'm friends with writers who say, which is what you mentioned a moment ago, oh, you know, I just have this idea and my characters, they just take me there. But not for me, you know, and I, and I do think for people who are aspiring writers or, you know, starting to really make time to write a book, it's very personal, but those are really the two ways that it plays out as I see it as a writing teacher. Does it help if you uh, pull from personal stories and personal, not directly your life story, but personally like things that you've gone through, experiences that you've gone through and kind of weave them into your characters to help write a story, say easier than coming from things out of thin air that you'd never experienced? I think that what's familiar works for me. And of course, as I said before, you know, my nonfiction really fuels my fiction. So having interviewed hundreds of women as mothers to daughters, I have heard many curious and fascinating stories. And so, you know, I definitely think about that as I create these characters. And I think a sense of place is very important because place so informs us and shapes us, you know, coming from different parts of the country. So as, and, as, yeah. par, as part of your book preparation, I know this is now your third in the Palm, Re- Palm Beach stage or Palm Beach area. Did you go down to Palm Beach to experience the life, to immerse yourself in the culture? Or did you base your writing off of what you were able to research? I have been going to Palm Beach for so many years. My parents were residents for decades. And so my brother and I, since we were very little, were always going to Palm Beach for, I mean, even before they became residents. When we were very little, we were always in Palm Beach for Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter break. And, you know, so Palm Beach is very familiar to me. And the reason I wanted to situate the story there, all of the Palm Beach novels, is that it, it's such a beautiful place. You know, it's a barrier island, about 18 miles long. It is, you know, historically, it was created by, you know, the whole idea of it by Henry Flagler. And there's even the Flagler Museum there. And it was very opulent and luxurious and physically beautiful and had lots of social rules. And I would walk down Worth Avenue with my mother and I would look at women of all different ages and every one of them looked so beautifully dressed and coiffed. And I thought, could the, the people who live here, the women who live here, could there be not one care in the world? Could it really be? And of course that's not. You know, what lurks beneath? What are women's secrets? I did a whole study of, you know, women ha- keeping secrets and lying for the cause. And I uncovered a lot of different stories. And I just, you know, again, as I said, in a capitalistic society is the answer that if you have so much, will you be protected? Will you be safe? Or is escape still something women are looking for? Is survival still something women need? And the answer is yes. But the but in such a beautiful, elegant town, are women more judgmental? I believe they are. Mm. I believe when everyone is similar, there and of course I should correct myself. When I did the study on female rivalry, 
whether it was a tennis league of women or a bowling league of women or, you know, women in the workplace, women were complaining about hierarchical relationships, friends who weren't really loyal, competition, rivalry, jealousy, envy. So what is it like in a place that's so beautiful and fortunate? It's actually tougher. The judgments are harsher. Women judge each other more harshly, and that's really part of this story. Why do you think it is in a situation where most of the people living there are fairly well off, the women that live there, why would they initially be, you know, I guess after each other, you know, why would they be so mean to each other? It goes back to what I had mentioned about this limited goods theory. I interviewed, and by the way, I interviewed a lot of women in Palm Beach for, for these novels too. You know, the idea that if you're divorced or widowed, you might be a pariah, you might be a threat. The idea that women, and, and that's a problem for Maribel. She's now this very pretty, very accomplished young widow. She has no children. And some of the women are saying to her, stay away from my husband. And other women are saying, wow, have fun. Lucky you. <laughs> wow. You're on your own. So, you know, you, you women really aren't easy on, the other, on each other. And there's not always the support that we so need and hope for. And I wanted to point that out in, in this novel that, you know, when the chips are down, I believe we really learn who's there for you and who isn't. And right. it's, often, it's often a surprise. It's like you see your true colors come out when, when yeah. you push back against the corner. Mm -hmm. But yeah. It's interesting that you're bringing this up, Susanna. When I was finishing my doctoral research, my study was around the underrepresentation of Latinas, so women of Latin American descent in upper levels of management. And I uncovered quite a bit of what you're alluding to, which is the scarcity mindset of you know, there's only room for one or a few at the top and having um, school district leadership where there's a token female in the room, it kind of plays into that where, you know, men are in positions of power and instead of the women getting angry at the men for the society that they've created in this way, start to look at each other to sometimes tear each other down or not be as supportive or withhold information from one another so that they can get a leg up. And it's just, it can be so toxic. And it's, you know, when women start talking about it, it's nothing that they've intentionally gone after, but it's almost like a a Darwinistic approach to, you know, the the survival of the fittest. And and it's very interesting that you bring that out in Maribel's shadow in terms of like the dynamics of women and the relationships in this kind of upper echelon of society. Yes, that it's so pervasive that it really doesn't matter if you have some gorgeous house and, you know, the best wardrobe in town. Um, it, it's, it's really all about what women can achieve and how threatening it really is when men have more power, when there's an unequal amount of power. And when your study for, for your graduate work sounds very interesting and very important because what, what you're really talking about, and I think that it is um, definitely applied to 
different races, but but always female as well, is the idea that there's tokenism in the workplace. So in other words, you know, men haven't allowed enough women into the positions of power. And if you're female and then you are in, although called a minority, there are more women on earth than men, but okay. So you're marginalized, you're a minority because you're female. And then if you're a different race or culture and you're female, it's like a double whammy and it really isn't improving as much. I mean, it's a little better now, but at, but I don't see it as really being fair. It's funny that you mentioned that. So I had a meeting just last week and it was um, in my organization. It just so happens that there are a lot of us uh, women that have aspired to higher levels of leadership and there's less representation at the higher levels of men. So we had this meeting and it was seven women and one man. And somebody was commenting about that. More lucky guy. Well, he was like, he made the comment like, oh yeah, I'm outnumbered seven to one. And I thought, you know what? That's so funny that he could make that comment because if I was the only woman in the room of seven men, I don't think that I could make a joke about it being seven to one without somebody, you know, looking at me strangely. And so it's interesting how when the tables are turned and the men are in the minority, how they can joke about it. But we as women kind of have to keep quiet about it and just accept it. Yes. I Look, you know, it's it's always been that women tiptoe around in order to get any power at all. And that men have just, whether they've earned it, they own it. And until that changes, actually until there's equal pay for equal work, it won't be fair for women. That's just how it works. And actually, I wanted to say something about what the three sisters do. So Raleigh, the family mascot, the youngest sister, the ethereal, dreamy sister, she is an artist. And she's married to an artist named Alex. So Caroline, the middle sister, is the only one who works for the family company. And she has aspirations and she, you know, she struggles to be seen and heard, even though the mother, Lucinda, is widowed and it was the father who started the company. So Lucinda's kind of in charge. Meanwhile, Maribel has her own great job at Palm Beach Confidential, where she's um, the editorial director. And that's a glossy magazine you see everywhere. But each sister has her own sense that she doesn't have enough power in a career because I wanted it to reflect what really goes on with women. Very interesting. So, Susanna, as you look at Maribel's shadow, now that it's been released just in the last few weeks and you're on this book tour promoting it, what character do you find yourself gravitating towards the most or is your favorite? Um, that's a tough one. Of course, I can relate to all of them and I understand and I hope the readers do, you know, each person's gestalt. But I would say that Maribel, because she she ref she reflects and represents women who are good girls. She's a good girl and a pleaser, which has been very important to me to look at in our society. 
all these years. I mean, we're pegged the good girl, the athlete, the popular one, the wallflower, you know, by the time we're in like first grade. So Maribel has always been a pleaser and an achiever. And she does what good girls do in our society. She puts one foot in front of the other and expects that the reward will be there because as good girls, if we do the good things, and we're, then we're rewarded appropriately. But in fact, I am convinced based on my fiction and nonfiction that we are never prepared completely. Although women are more acrobatic and uh, more multifaceted than men, which, how could she be, be prepared for what happens to Samuel? How right. can she be? So I relate to her ability and her need to learn the truth and to figure out the price of being a pleaser. Very interesting. Well, now that you have launched this book, where can our fabulous listeners purchase it? And is there a possibility for them to get any signed copies from you? There you go, yeah. Signed copies, sure. If someone gets in touch with me through my website, Susanna Marin, dot com or Susan Shapiro Barish dot com. It brings you to the same person. Um, and they want and they're going to buy the co- the book. I will if they want to send their information, I will sign a card that, you know, one of those cards that authors have, I will mail it to them. My office will mail it to them. And in terms of getting the book, it's in bookstores, indie bookstores and Barnes and Noble and Definitely Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Nice. Is there going to be an ebook? Uh, was it an ebook? Like an Audible? Yeah, Audible. Yeah, sorry, Audible book. I think there will be an Audible, and there is an ebook already. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I was looking up all of your titles and reading about them, and I'm getting ready for a European vacation in just a couple of weeks. And Lucky. I know. And as I was reading a a bit about Maribel's shadow. I was thinking this is exactly the kind of book that I want to take with me on vacation because I devour books. And my favorite author when I was growing up was um, Mary Higgins Clark, where it's kind of like this mystery, but it's also, there's always the female protagonist and you just kind of get into the story And I feel like I would definitely enjoy your books. So thank you for writing them for the world. Thank you so much. Well, this definitely has suspense. So I hope you will take it on your trip and learn what happens. Absolutely. As long as it doesn't have to do with like uh, female travelers getting killed overseas, I think I'll be good. Or or snakes on a plane. (laughs) Snakes on a plane, yeah. It's not anything like this. (laughs) Well, for our listeners, we're going to put all of the information regarding where you can learn more about Susanna uh, Maribel's shadow, as well as um, her website and how to get in touch with her if you want to get a signed card to go with that fantastic brand new book when you purchase it. And we just want to say thank you so much for for being on our show, Susanna, as part of your book tour. Any last words for our listeners today? I just wanted to say to you that your questions were great and it was a treat to be here. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. 
Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. You know, that was so great for uh, Susanna for uh, stopping by the show today. Absolutely. I really loved hearing about her approach to writing her book and character development. And, you know, I never thought about how much behind the scenes work goes in to creating these personas that you have to develop to be able to really write about them in a book. Like, okay, I guess like if you think about it like this, JK Rowling wrote Harry Potter. Like she had to build a backstory and an understanding, like know what Harry Potter looked like, where he went to school, what his likes and his dislikes were, all these different dimension of- And don't forget the world. His personalities and all of that stuff. And the world that she built around Harry Potter, because that's not a normal- world. It's right, like right. It, but I'm just talking about in general with authors, like what they have to go into for character development. And I wonder if that's the same for like people that write TV shows and things like that. Like you and I, we're really into Suits right now. That's our show that we've been watching on Netflix pretty religiously, right? And it came out like, I don't know, 10 years ago yeah, or whatever. But we're but, into it. But if you think of yeah. like um, Harvey, like the main character, Har- Harvey or Mike Ross or Jessica Pearson. And you think about like their backgrounds. First of all, we don't know a lot about Jessica's background. We do know a bit about Harvey. You might find out later. I don't know. I know, but that's the thing is, I wonder if the creators of the show did this whole like background of Jessica because they have to have depth. To the characters, you know, I right? wonder when it comes to a television show, they have such a long span to really kind of tell their tell the story or tell the backstory. Like a lot of shows will do this. You get jumped into the show, you kind of get quickly introduced to the different characters, and then throughout the different seasons, they'll do like a backstory of, of how they started or how they became right, who but they do you are. Think that they did that all at the beginning, or it's like as no, it evolves, they no. add more to their character. They probably have kind of like the basics of like this person is this kind of person and they are this, you know, but then we kind of like peel the onions back and the writers probably, they probably have some basic ideas, but to go into more depth, that's when they probably come out with it a little bit later. Right. But Susanna was saying in her approach when she was developing the characters that she has to know like everything about them and that she has all of this work on the front end where she's creating these personas and the intricacies of who they are and why they act in a certain way. And I just found it very fascinating. I think that I would struggle to be a fiction author for that reason I think I would get too caught up in the details of the character that it would lose the story. Well, I think people, a lot of authors, what they do when they are starting out is they work on things they know and places they know and, and things that aren't particularly related to themselves, but stories that they've gone through just change the name. Instead of Christine, they say you call you Julie. And instead of um, become, being... Um, That'll you know. be my code name now, Julie. <laughs> yes. You'll be Julie. And instead of your path to where you are successfully, the other person is a quote unquote Julie. Let's just say she went to law school. And let's just say she worked in New York City. And let's just say uh, she lied about being a lawyer. And then this other person 
who was actually okay, doing suits. <laughs> All right. Anyways, the point being, I very much admire what Susanna does. I don't know if I could do it. I think I could write a nonfiction book. I think I could stay factual and do the research. I just feel like there's a whole different set of imagination needed. And, you know, I wonder, I wonder for authors that are in the fiction space, like if they are more creative than maybe they're more like artists than some of us that are a bit more technical. I don't know. I think it's so fascinating. I think that people that are able to successfully write a book I just admire them so much. I feel like that's a life goal of mine. And maybe one day, I mean, I did write my wedding planning book. It's there you small. go. But that's not like a fiction book. Right. You know, it's, it's not, not. Yeah. Well, maybe if you're going to do that, maybe start off with very short stories about, I mean, just pick some kind of character, pick a struggle. Mm-hmm, about pick, weddings. <laughs> see, there you go. You're going back to the wedding thing. Or what about a wedding that went wrong? Well, I mean, there could be so many different little vignettes that you write up and then maybe they come together. Um, a series of unfortunate weddings or and something like that. And then you got the movie producers that come knocking on your door and oh, say they want yeah. to make a movie. It wouldn't be Hallmark though, because you know, everything's hunky dory in, in Hallmark town. Well, maybe an actual real movie with real money. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe, but this is just very fascinating to listen to Susanna and to learn more about her approach and about her book. And so definitely uh, check out our show notes from this week's episode to be able to find out where about where you can purchase her book, where you can find out more about her and her research and what she does for a living. Um, and then also, Chris, where can our listeners find out more about us? Yeah, you can go to our website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. And there will be a link to it in the show notes of this very episode. Absolutely. And on our website, you can find links to Podtastic Audio, Christine Smith Designs, as well as our social media channel, Make sure that you check out our YouTube videos of our recent adventures. We don't have one from Huntington Beach, but we do have one from our New York adventures and our Hawaii adventures. So if you'd like to follow along with us and be friends, definitely subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a five-star review and let us know what you loved. Fantastic. And thanks so much for listening, everybody. We're really excited that we're back with you. We're happy to give you another amazing episode and we're going to be back with you next week. week.